0: Welcome. It's great to have you guys here again. Wherever you're watching, we just want to say we're glad that you're with us. We believe that Jesus, we said every week that He's the hope of the world. Which means, again, whatever you're going through, whatever your challenge, whatever your issue, that if you'll open up your heart and allow God to meet you where you are, it'll be the greatest decision that you've ever made. Like, we believe that with all of our heart. That's where we put our, our talent and our time as a church. We just want to continue to declare who Jesus is and what he's done. And again, every person can find a new beginning in him. Again, man, it's great to have everybody with us, not just our Faith Church family who's watching, but for all of you who are first time guests, I know that you've already been welcomed by our hosts. But I want to say it myself again as the lead pastor, welcome to Faith Church. We hope today you tuning in will be a great experience in your spiritual journey. So today we are concluding the series Made in the Cave. Made in the Cave has been this series where we've been leaning into some of the stories in Scripture where there are these individuals that find themselves forced into these literal caves. And through these cave moments, what we found out is ultimately, man, they are packed with life lessons. As each of these individuals that we've looked at, as we've leaned into their story, we've gleaned that there's things that can apply to our life. For example, week one, we leaned into the story of David. David was on his way from being a shepherd to sitting on the throne of Israel. And what we found out is that on his journey, he ended up in a cave. And we said this week one, that caves can qualify us for crowns. That sometimes those dark seasons in life those difficult times we find ourselves, while nobody wants to be in them, God can use them to grow us, to take us to the place we're going. Week number two, we talked about this guy by the name of Elijah. Elijah was a prophet, and he thought he was running to something that was going to help him, but in fact, he was running to something that was going to hurt him. Have you ever been there that you ran into a relationship or ran into a career or ran into a school, ran into a situation you thought was best for you? And really it's something that held you back. And so week two, we said this, that caves ultimately can keep us from our callings. Some of you are not in your journey. You're not moving forward in the things that God has for you because you ran into something that you thought was going to be good for you, and it's holding you back. Last week, we talked about uh, this third cave, and it's this obscure story in the Old Testament. I'd encourage you to go back and maybe listen to all these if you haven't. But ultimately, we found out that sometimes caves, these depressing discouraging dark moments in life and sometimes we find ourselves in those places not because we're there because God is developing us but sometimes they're they're there because ultimately caves are the fulfillment of compromise like we were living this life where we keep compromising our faith and keep compromising our relationship with Christ and keep compromising our ethics and our morality and as you continue to compromise ultimately you are inevitably going to end up in a cave And so today, as we conclude this message and this series, I'm excited about what God's going to do for all of us as a church family. Again, if you're a guest, man, I pray that God will speak something to you today, but if you are a faith church family, I want you to lean into this message. I want you to hear what God is saying to this house and what he's calling us to do ultimately in this season and beyond. Here's a question I want to ask us. How many of you have ever been in a situation that you needed help getting out of? How many people ever found themselves at a place in life, in a situation in life, going through something in life, and there's, you couldn't fix it on your own? Like, you needed somebody, you needed some backup, you needed, to, you needed to call somebody who could come in and help you out. I remember a number of years ago, I, um, I was driving through a parking lot and i was in one section of this parking lot and i wanted to get to this other section but between the two parking lots you probably have seen this you know like there's sometimes there's not all asphalt sometimes there's some grass between stores sometimes there's even some curbs between stores like those would be obstacles for some people not for me like it was just too hard at the moment to drive out sit through a red light go down the main road and turn around and go back in the very next lot So I just had this great idea. Like, I'm just going to put this baby in four-wheel drive, and I'm just going to go over the curb. Like, I can get there just, I mean, the shortest distance, right, between two points, a straight line. I'm just going to take a straight line. And so I just got up to this little curb and looked around, made sure nobody was looking. That's how you know when you're in trouble, by the way. If you got to look around and make sure nobody's looking at you, you probably shouldn't do what you're doing. But I digress. I kept doing it. And my son is sitting with me, and so I went over my front tires over the curb. And as soon as my front tires hit the other parking lot, I didn't realize it, but they weren't the same height. The parking lot I was going into was actually lower. And as soon as my front tires fell off that curb, all of a sudden I was stuck on this curb. Woo! It wasn't, <laughs> wasn't nothing I could do but be embarrassed. I'm putting this thing in reverse, and I'm just peeling out. I am absolutely stuck. My son's looking at me. I'm embarrassed in front of my son. And there's no way. There's nothing I could do to get myself free from that. Thankfully, I knew a guy who had a tow company, and I called him up, and I was like, hey, listen. I'm stuck, and I need you to come get me, but you can only help me. This is crazy. I was like, you can only come help me on one condition, and that is got to swear you will never tell anybody that you had to come help me. And so he's like, Pastor, what is it? And so I told him, and he came, and he laughed the whole time. Ultimately, he got me unstuck. <laughs> he got me unstuck from this curve. Again, I, I was so embarrassed. But again, there was, there was no way. There was no way I was going to get myself out of that situation. I needed help yeah, yeah. to get out. Right. Again, all of us go through life where we face situations where we have to lean on or depend on somebody else to get us out of the cave we're in, to get us out of the situation we're in. Right? That's why we live in a world that's filled with counselors and filled with doctors and fill with emergency people and fill with right all kinds of fill with all kinds of people that are there. And think about this because when you find yourself in a relational situation or a financial situation or an emergency situation, right, we have somebody we can call and what what the wonderful thing is all these people that operate and exist in our world, all of the teachers, everybody who do you do what you do, you understand your role that you are there to help people get out of situations that they can't get out of on their own and while many of those people again bankers and accountants and lawyers and doctors while many of those people understand their calling in this world here's the question I want us to run down today is do Christians do we as Christ followers understand our calling in this world what's our calling If everybody else understands that oftentimes they are there to play a role in helping somebody else get out of a situation they're in, what is our calling as Christ followers? Now, what I have found is oftentimes, many times Christians believe that our calling is to be a consumer. Called to be a consumer. And we will show up in church and we will let people hug us and love us. Come on, and caffeinate us and feed us the word and lead us in worship and like people just show up in church and they just sit and they're just consumers and i'm just going to tell you there's there's nothing wrong with that if that's the beginning of your journey if if you're tuning in online or when we're able to be in a building you show up and you're just kind of new to spiritual things and and you're just kicking the tires on faith and you're just trying to figure it out i want you to know there's nothing wrong with being a consumer but at some point we gotta stop being a consumer, and there's many of us that's what we think our role is, is is just to let people encourage us and love us and feed us and help us and and at some point we gotta move past being a consumer. So a lot of people they recognize like our call isn't to be consumers. A lot of times I think Christians believe that our calling is to be contributors. I'm not called to be a consumer pastor I get it like I've been in this game for a while like I understand that I'm called to be a contributor and we have literally thousands of people of faith church that are operating in this role and we can't do what we do without you that people show up and they give their time and they serve all over in different capacities. And they give their talent and they give their treasure. They, they invest in the resource. They invest in uh, the ministry of this house with the resources. They invest in kingdom builders. And so so many of you who are contributors, I just want to say thank you for what you do. And But I, here's what you got to hear is ultimately, again, we graduate from being this person where we are a consumer to a contributor. And while being a contributor is great, ultimately, while it's great, that's not our goal. We have a higher goal than just being a contributor. So when you, when you follow the New Testament story, this is exactly the same outline that we, fall, we, we see happening with Jesus, that these grou- groups of people follow Jesus, and they follow just his consumers. They, they just want to hear what he has to teach. They just want to experience his miracles. They're, they're just consumers. Just give me more. Give me another teaching. Give me another miracle But then we see people who stop being, again, consumers and they start being contributors. We see the disciples, they partner with Jesus in ministry and they preach sometimes along with him. He sends them in. They work miracles on his behalf. We see some women who ultimately finance the ministry of Jesus. And so contributors are so important. But again, ultimately the goal, while it's great, that's not the goal. What I want us to see today as we conclude this series is ultimately our calling is to community. Is to community. See, that's that's a whole nother level. If you're gonna operate in community, ultimately it's gonna take you being a contributor. But this idea of community is what you find when Jesus ultimately died on the cross, rose on the third day, showed himself alive for 40 days, and then ascended to heaven. What he left was the church, but a group of people who lived in community, where they were looking out for each other, where they were making sure everybody was okay. And if somebody got themselves in a situation, they knew this all along. I'm not in this thing alone. I've got a group of people who have my back, who are for me, who are not against me. And that's what we need more than ever. I believe in the season we're living is we need to know we're not in this thing alone alone i'm not in caves alone i'm not in difficult situations alone we are going to live in community that's our highest call is christ followers as i'm in this thing with a group of people come on somebody and so here's what i want you to hear today here's this big idea is ultimately that community counters the power of caves again i go back to even a silly illustration but if i'm caught on that curb and i have nobody to call like literally, what am I going to do? If I have nobody I can lean on, I'm stuck. And sometimes we get ourselves in situations or we find ourselves in places of life and if, if maybe you're in one of these places now and you have nobody to call, you have nobody to lean on and you are absolutely alone, you're in trouble. But I don't care how dark your situation is. I don't care how desperate it is. There's, there's just something about knowing that you're not in it alone. When you know, man, if you're in a, again, we're not in literal caves, but if you're in a dark, depressing, discouraging moment in life, but you know you got people there with you, you have people checking in on you, you have people there coming alongside, like everything changes in community. Community counters the power of caves, Man, it it takes the darkness and it, it brings light. It takes the difficulty and it turns down the difficulty setting. All of a sudden, what seems overwhelming when you're in community, it feels manageable, it feels, it feels like I can do this. Community counters the power of caves. So I want us, uh, for a few minutes, to lean into this scripture because this is ultimately what Paul tells us. I want you to hear this. Paul in Galatians chapter 6, talking about this idea of community, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, now let me just stop right there. I want you to notice as he addresses this group of Christians. He says, dear brothers and sisters, which, my, which means to me he's either supposing community or imposing community. He's either telling these people, listen, I, I know you're, you're, you're brothers from different mothers, right? I, I, know you're not, I know you're all not from the same uh, genetic pool. I know you're not all brothers and sisters, literally. But he's like, what I want you to hear is you're brothers and sisters. I, I want to suppose you already know that. I want to suppose if you're watching this that you're not alone. You, you're a part of a family. You're a part of something greater than yourself. You're not in this thing alone. And if you're watching this or you're hearing this and you're like, man, I didn't know that. Well, then I think Paul, maybe he's leaning on you. He's not, he's not supposing it, he's imposing. No, you need to know this, that you got some brothers and sisters that need you. You got some brothers and sisters that are depending on you. Yeah. And so he starts this idea by just saying, hey, we're, we're a community, we're a We're a family. We look out for each other here. We got each other's backs here. And so he says this, dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome, everybody say overcome. That's that situation you get in and you need help. If another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Come on, read this with me at home share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of christ listen paul's talking about like how do you behave in a cave how do you behave in a cave how do you when you're in a dark difficult depressing discouraging moment how do you behave like how do you live well, again, he introduces this idea that ultimately it's not his idea, it was Jesus' idea. Again, that you're not called to solidarity, you're not called to, to singleness, you're called to community, you're not called to do life alone, you're called to live life connected, you're a part of something greater. So, dear brothers and sisters, and he's he's really saying, listen, if you're if you're in a cave, this is just really important. If you're in a cave, again, I want you to notice he 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 makes a couple points here. He says, Hey, if you're overcome, which means number one, you've got to be vulnerable enough to admit you're overcome. Which Anybody here have a hard time admitting you need help? We have a hard time admitting I'm overcome. So he says, if if you know somebody who's overcome, again, not just admitting you need help, but you gotta go help that person. You gotta be humble enough to accept that help. So a lot of people, I'm just going to say this up front, a lot of people, you know you're in community, you're in community, but you won't admit you're in trouble and you won't accept help if someone offers it, which means you're just going to stay in the cave longer than you need to be there because the way out of the cave isn't how strong you are, it's how strong the people are that God's sending you to get out of the cave you're in. Come on, we all need somebody. But what I want us again to hear today is, is what do you do when somebody you know is in a cave? Not just when you're in the cave. What do you do when somebody else? I, we've been for three weeks talking about the caves we find ourselves in. and Man, I just felt so impressed walking into this week about leaning into this topic of what do we do when somebody else we know is in a cave, when somebody else is in a tough season, when they're in a difficult place? Like, what do we do? And Paul, he gives us this challenge that, man, again, we're to go. When we know somebody's overcome, we're brothers and sisters. We're in community. We're to go to them, and we're to help them, and we're to to share their burdens. If you're taking notes, I want you to hear this. The best demonstration of our godliness is being a companion to somebody in their brokenness. You want to say, well, you know, how how far am I in my spiritual journey? How mature am I? How, How much have I grown in my faith? Paul says, hey, to you who are spiritual, when you find somebody struggling, go help them. So the best demonstration of our godliness is being a companion to someone in their brokenness. It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not how often you pray. It's not how much you give. He's saying like the best, the best thermometer of our spiritual growth is how quick we're to help somebody else who's in a cave. And I'm just going to tell you standing here that I recognize as a pastor that we don't always do this well as a community. When I say we, I mean me. When I say we, I mean our church. When I say we, I mean the church of Jesus. That oftentimes I know of people who are struggling and and I wonder, like, hey, is somebody, is somebody else in the church calling them? Is somebody else in the church reaching out to them? Is, is somebody else in the church aware? And I feel that weight because I recognize... Yeah, I know, that. I know that person loves Jesus too, but again, God set us up not to operate in isolation. God set us to operate in community. And so who's there that has their back? And so what I want you to hear today, come on, listen, if you're watching this, is God's called you and God's equipped you and God's anointed you and part of our journey is to be a part of someone else's journey that we're called to community, we're called to connectedness, that if someone else is in a cave, we're the first ones in, we're the first ones on scene, we're the first ones to go in after them. Man, we cannot allow people to stay in caves alone, man. We gotta go and run to them and rescue them. Come on, we gotta break the power of caves through community. And so there's a story, again, community counters the power of caves. I want you just to lean into that and hear that. This last cave moment today I want to lean into is in John chapter 11 is probably without, well, actually not probably, I think without a doubt, is the darkest cave moment recorded in scripture. We've looked at three of them. There's actually more than that. But this specific story is the story of Lazarus. Now, Lazarus, if you don't know his story, it's in John chapter 11. And ultimately, we find that Lazarus, he gets sick and he dies and they bury him in a cave. And the reason his, his story is the darkest is because, again, he's dead. He is absolutely helpless. There's nothing Lazarus can do to help himself. The only way out of that cave is if somebody else comes and helps him. What I'm telling you is that sometimes we can be in such a desperate situation that we cannot, we are just, we're tapped out. I don't have any more to give. I don't have any more tears to cry. I don't have any more money to put. to. If somebody doesn't help me, I am stuck in this cave forever. And the good news is, even the darkest, most difficult cave you will ever face, you can come out of if people will step up and help you. Now, check this out. We're going to lean into this store. I'm going to give you three things real quick. In this idea of community counters the power of caves, community, being connected, doing it together. Number one, if you're taking notes, is you got to get people connected to Christ. When somebody's in a cave... When somebody's in a desperate situation, when somebody's in a dark moment, come on, what's, what's the best thing? I know, I know you can get Hallmark involved. Come on, everybody likes a good Hallmark card. There's a lot of things we can do. Come on, I, I know a good meal always encourages somebody. Nothing wrong with sending somebody some takeout from Olive Garden. Come on, them breadsticks makes every day better. But he's saying, listen, there's something greater than that the greatest thing you can get somebody connected to isn't just a meal and isn't hallmark. We got to get people connected to Christ. Do you really believe, you who are watching this, do you really believe that Jesus is the hope of the world? Do you really believe the answer to people's brokenness is Jesus? That the solution to our struggle is Jesus? That the power to overcome sin is Jesus? Does anybody watching this, I wish somebody would help me, do we really believe as the church that Jesus is the answer? That he is the way? That he is the truth and that he is the life if we believe that then we know people who are stuck in caves the best thing we can do is get them connected to christ i'm gonna read about six or seven scriptures here and i want you just to watch this running theme these all happen in the context of the gospels and the ministry of jesus and i want you just to to pick up on this theme listen to this When this man heard that Jesus arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Here's another one. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion man came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Here's another one. While he was saying this, a synagogue leader came up to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home. uh, I'm sorry. He says, my daughter has just died. Come and put your hand on her and she will live. Here's another one. While they were going out, a man who was demon possessed, could not talk, was brought to Jesus. Here's another one. There are some people brought to him, Jesus, a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. Here's another one. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. I can go on with these. Matthew four twenty four is just kind of this generic one. News about Jesus spread over all Syria. And people with every kind of sickness and disease was brought to him. What I'm telling you is, is you find over and over, you find these miracles that Jesus did. I mean, people who are broken and hurting and sick and dying and diseased and demon-possessed. They're in the darkest, most difficult, depressing, discouraging cave you can ever find yourself in. And you know how they get out of the cave they're in? You say, well, yeah, Jesus. Yeah, J- Jesus, Jesus went to... No, no, no. You, you missed it. Because what I wanted you to see in all the scriptures I just read is, is these people didn't come to Jesus on their own and Jesus didn't even go to them. People recognize Jesus can help my friend. I got to get my friend to Jesus. I got to get my friend. I got to get my son and my daughter. I got to get my husband, my wife. I got to get my neighbor. I got to get the person on on my guest services team member. I got to get my parking team member. I got to get this person I serve with in kids ministry. Man, they're in a cave and the only way out is if I can get them connected to jesus listen to me we have to find people we got to find people because this is what we find we got to take responsibility for getting people connected to the ability so they can overcome their disability that's the only thing that we see over and over is that people who are broken get taken to jesus I just want just to just challenge this. Like, what would happen if we really started, just really started praying for people, really started ministering to people, really started talking to them, started doing everything we can, man, to get them connected to Christ, doing everything. Man, have you tagged somebody and shared this service with them? Because, man, if we believe that Jesus is the hope of the world and they can be in the most difficult, dark cave season of their life, but Jesus is the one who's going to bring them out. But our responsibility is to get them connected to his ability so they can overcome their disability. And that only comes through community. That only comes when somebody cares enough about a person who's in a cave that they're willing to go in and get them. Here's the second thing. Here's the second thing I want you to see in this story. And again, I'm skipping through a lot of this Lazarus story. This is a story really that's easy to preach on, but I'm not focusing on the miracle Uh, Let me back up here. John, let me read John 11. John 11, 1 to 3. Listen to this. John 11, 1 to 3. It says, a man named Lazarus was sick and he lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. And this is Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. We're gonna come back to that scripture because it's a pretty powerful point that the writer's making. Her brother Lazarus was sick. And so the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. Like the first thing they knew to do is, hey, we we can put a cold compress on his head and and we can do all kinds of stuff. We can get him some Medicaid. But the best thing we can do for our brother Lazarus, the very best thing we can do is we got to get a message to Jesus. Jesus, you got to come help Lazarus. The best thing you can do for the people you know, for the friends you know, for the siblings you know, the best thing you can do for those who are stuck in cave moments is to get them connected to Christ. He is the answer. He is the key. He is the solution. He is the power and he is the strength to get people out of those seasons come on does anybody here believe that so they sent a message to jesus over and over that's what we read in the gospels people know if i can if i can just if i can just get this person to jesus now mary and martha were literal sisters to lazarus but i don't think we can miss the play on words that again when we come to Christ we get called into community and we get tagged in titles as brothers and sisters again we, we might be sisters with different misters or brothers with different mothers but our, our commonality is we have one heavenly father and so we're brothers and sisters and we got to look out for each other the second thing not only getting people connected to Christ the second thing is we got to move the obstacles that are holding people back Watch this, John eleven, seventeen. So Jesus, he finally shows up on the scene after being called there by Mary and Martha. John chapter eleven, verse seventeen says, And when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Like this, Jesus got there so late, he didn't just miss his passing away, he missed the funeral, he missed the way, he missed it all. Lazarus has already been buried for four days. And Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. I love it because Jesus cares about our brokenness. Watch this. When Jesus arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. What was, what was the purpose of this stone? Well, at that time in the first century, typically people were not buried underground like we are today. Some were, but more times than not, people were put in caves. And once somebody was put in a small cave entrance, they would roll a large stone in front of the entrance so no animals could get in and do anything to the body. And so here's Lazarus. Lazarus was sick. Mary and Martha called Jesus to come. Jesus is on his way, but he gets there late. Jesus, Lazarus has already been dead for four days, and he gets there and he's standing in front of the tomb. He's like, he's in the cemetery where Lazarus is buried, and there's a large stone in front of the entrance. And Jesus makes this point, watch this, this is so powerful. He says, I want you to roll the stone aside. Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. And the smell will be terrible. Come on, I just want you to know it's never too late. For Jesus to do something about your situation. Listen, you may be four day, days dead and it's never too late for Jesus. You may have, come on, there are people signed your death certificate. They said, man, you're too far gone. There's no coming back. I'm telling you, it is never too late for Jesus. Jesus can redeem any situation, any life, any person, anywhere, anytime. It's never too late. Come on, for the resurrection of life to step in. And Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory? if you believe so they rolled the stone away so jesus so watch this now because when you read the story of lazarus jesus and for for sure i want you all to hear me all glory to jesus jesus is the one who does the heavy lifting in the story jesus is the one who ultimately brings lazarus back from the dead but jesus was only there because mary and martha sent a message to go get him and so here's jesus standing in front of the tomb and he's getting ready to call lazarus forth and he recognizes what's going to keep lazarus from getting out of the tomb is the stone and jesus says i'm not going to be the now do you think jesus could have moved the stone no doubt about it if jesus can call a dead man to come back to life you better believe he can call a stone to get away from the entrance but he said you know what i i've i've called us to do this thing as a team sport Come on, he's he's invited us to be a part of what he's doing in rescuing broken people. And so it says, listen, I'll do the heavy lifting. I'll call him forth if you'll move the stone. And sometimes we just have to be willing to move obstacles that are in people's way. What's What's keeping somebody you know in the situation they're in? Maybe what God's calling you to do is to move that thing out of the way. Now, again, people, you have to admit you need help. You gotta admit, I can't move this thing alone. And men, come on, we're awful at this. When, we, when you're moving something, hi men you ever done this? You have to move something heavy and you can't move it and you're never gonna say it's too big or too heavy for me to move. What we say is it's awkward. Yeah. This is awkward. I just can't, I just can't. No, come on. What you're saying is you just can't move it alone. Come on if you're taking notes, some obstacles can only be moved through a group effort, and there's some stuff some people are going through, and if they're going to get out of the cave they're in them, some obstacles got to be moved out of the way, and they can't move it because they're helpless, and Jesus didn't going to move it because He called us together to get up underneath the obstacles and move them out of people's way. Come on, I'm telling you some people right now who are watching this, you were in some cave moments, and you're never going to get out of that thing alone, but God's called people around you to help you, to love you, to encourage you, and to move stuff out of your way that are holding you in the season you're in we got to move some of those obstacles out of the way again Galatians 6 2 I read it earlier said we have to share each other's burdens you don't have to carry that thing alone you don't have to carry it alone so Jesus is standing in front of this tomb now the stone is rolled away there's a dead body still in this cave and listen to this John 11:41. 41 it says in if you're taking notes you got to remove the things that are tripping people up you got to remove the things once somebody starts coming out of the cave I don't know if anybody else can relate to this you know how you can you can get out of a season and man that last season just keeps kind of haunting you you keep kind of falling into the same behavior falling into the same attitude, falling into the same situations. Here's Lazarus, watch this, Jesus standing in front of the tomb. Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. And then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet in grave clothes and his face wrapped in a head cloth. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Let me say it again. Come on. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. So here's, here's Lazarus. He's in a tomb. There's nothing he can do to help himself. You read the story of John chapter 11. It's one of the most profound miracles in the New Testament. Jesus calls a man to come back to life, and that's awesome, but you can't miss it that Jesus was only there because Mary and Martha got him, and Je- Lazarus could only come out of the tomb because Mary and Martha and those who showed up to help grieve moved the stone out of the way, and how did Lazarus get on with life? Only because Mary and Martha removed the stuff that was going to keep tripping him up and says, I want you to get the, get, the, get the cloth off of his head. Sometimes when people have been in dark moments, they just need a new perspective. They need somebody to believe in them. They need somebody to say, hey, you can do this. You need somebody to tell them and to speak life to them. That's why we need each other. Come on, is we, can, we gotta go into the caves people are in and trapped and caught in, and we gotta be the ones that rescue them and get them out. And so Lazarus comes out like a mummy. He's all bound up, and Jesus says, I want you to get the stuff off of him. It's just gonna trip him up. But as I was studying this, something jumped out at me, and I want us to lean into this just for a minute. So remember how how the story started. The point that's made that almost doesn't really seem to fit was that it says Mary and Martha, Lazarus' brother, was sick, and it says, in this Mary, this is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. It was her brother. Lazarus it was sick. And it would seem like the purpose of that verse was to let us know which Mary it was. Because there are several Marys in the New Testament. There's at least five. And so you would think that the writer of John, that John was saying, hey, this is that Mary. But I don't think that's the point. And here's how I know it, because we know throughout the New Testament that Mary and Martha are sisters, we know that Mary. When you get to the end of the book of John, John records this, that Jesus did so many miracles that they couldn't be contained in all the books of the world. Now, that's hyper, hyperbolic speech, but what he's saying is like, you've only, you've only got the tip of the iceberg. When you read the miracles recorded in this gospel, like you've only seen a small sample of everything Jesus did. Jesus did way more than I've ever recorded, which means that John had to be careful and he had to be intentional about what miracles he recorded, what miracles he, re- he wrote down, and what miracles he chose to exclude. And for some reason, he chose to include this miracle of the resurrection of Lazarus. And you can say, well, pastor, the reason probably he did that is because that's such a profound miracle but I would counter back and say but that's not the only resurrection Jesus did there are actually three resurrections that Jesus causes in somebody's life so the purpose of this miracle isn't to show that Jesus is over death we already know that what I want to tell you is this this is so so important because this Mary this is the Mary that poured perfume on Jesus. Here's why that's relevant is because now they're standing at the tomb and Jesus says, "Hey, I want you to I want you to go and I want you to move the stone and I want you to take the bandages off." And notice the response, "Come on, Jesus, are you kidding me? He's been dead 4 days. He he's going to stink." I love King James only in this verse, "He stinketh." He stinketh. Imagine imagine the stench. Imagine how bad this smelled. He's been dead and rotting for four days. And so this word, this is so powerful, this word, he stinks, the antonym to that is to pour perfume on. And I think what Jesus is saying by by John recording this miracle of Lazarus being raised from the dead, Lazarus was the sister of Mary, Mary was the one who poured perfume on, and now her brother's laying in the grave, and she's like, I don't know about this, because he kind of stinks, his situation, I don't know, it's gotten pretty bad. And I think what Jesus is saying is, wait, so you were quick to pour perfume on me, but you want to point out how bad he stinks. See, what we're called to do in the body of Christ is to cover for each other, to look out for one another, to cover up each other's sin. Pointing out each other's faults, like man, he stinks. Look what he did wrong. Look how she messed up. We need to be pouring. It don't matter if you pour your worship on Jesus and pour out your hate on somebody else. They contradict each other. James talked about man; those rivers want a saltiness and want a sweet water. They can't flow from the same source. If we're going to pour oil on Jesus by by worshiping him and declaring how who he is, then we got to pour oil on other people who are in difficult, dark seasons. We got to look out for people who are broken. We got to go into people who are stuck in cave we got to be the ones if i'll do it for jesus i'll do it for people because the law is to love god with all of your heart soul mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself and if you belong to jesus you're not just my neighbor you're my brother and you're my sister and we are called to run after each other in community looking out for each other falling over one another to help somebody out that is our calling come on somebody I'll close with this because here's what's crazy again. If you think the miracle of, of Lazarus was just recorded to show how powerful Jesus was, that's what the Gospels are written about. What's crazy is you know, Lazarus is never mentioned again, except right after this story in John chapter 12, he's, he's casually mentioned as a dinner guest. Mary's mentioned more, Martha's mentioned more. Lazarus is never mentioned again. This profound character that this miracle happened. And I think the reason is, I think ultimately that God wants us to understand the point of that story is is community. What would have happened to Lazarus if he didn't have a Mary and Martha that was willing to run after Jesus on his behalf? Willing to move the obstacles out of his way on his behalf? Willing to move the stuff that was tangling them up on his behalf? Who do you know that's in a cave? Who do you know that needs somebody to run in and rescue them? Who do you know that needs obstacles moved out of the way? Who do you know that needs stuff that's tripping them up moved out of the way? Who do you know that needs somebody to cover for them? I would venture to say if you give it 30 seconds thought, you can think of somebody. Somebody. And maybe you know about them and I don't because Jesus put them in your path and not mine because Jesus called you to go into their cave and not me. Because the only way we're going to overcome the power of caves is through community. And so, Father, I'm grateful today that ultimately, again, as we read this story, Jesus, to you be the glory. You're the one who's the resurrection life. You're the one who restored power to a dead man. But, Jesus, you partnered. You partnered with Mary and Martha, you partner with them in this miracle. And I pray that God, every person watching this that knows people in dark, difficult seasons, that we, you, we would know, we would feel the weight, not just the weight for you to do something, but God, to come alongside of you, to partner with you, God, to see restoration and to see miracles break out in people's lives, to pull them out of the caves they find themselves and back to life. In Jesus' mighty name, God, put on us the weight and the privilege of community. In Jesus' name, and everybody who agreed, said amen.